Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I am your host, Rick Wolf. Well, every so often, as most of you, the regular listeners to my show know, I, I, I'd like to do something a little different or unusual. And this morning is going to be one of those types of shows. <laughs> let, me, let me explain what I have in mind. You know, as you know, I'm no longer in my 20s or 30s. My, my best playing days as an athlete are long behind me. And over the years, as I've coached at the uh, collegiate and professional ranks, and having been a sports parent myself, I'm, I'm well aware that, well, how can I say this? Uh, time marches on and things change. For example, when I was a kid, if you suffered a concussion in a football game, well, you usually came out of the contest and waited until the, the cobwebs cleared before you went back into action. There was no such thing as a concussion protocol as there is today. Terms like uh, repetitive use injuries, uh, that didn't exist. Club teams, no idea. Lacrosse was a sport only played in the northeastern part of the country, or perhaps maybe a little bit in Maryland and Virginia. And if you'd asked me 20 years ago about social media, I would have known what in the world you're talking about. Or for that matter, what a one-and-done college basketball player is. Well, you, you get the idea. Just like everything else in life, with the passage of time, things around us change. And that, of course, includes sports. In any event, I thought it'd be fun today to compare and contrast the various perspectives on how sports have evolved, especially from the vantage point of someone who is, well, quite frankly, 30 years younger than I am. Which brings me to my guest, uh, Noah Savage, uh, who's been on the show before. Noah was an all-Ivy League sharpshooting forward at Princeton, where he captained the team his senior year back in 2008. He's gone from being uh, an active player to broadcaster himself. He's done Princeton basketball for several years on the Ivy League Network and has also worked topped high school games over in New Jersey. Uh, and in all candor, I should point out that Noah happens to be my son-in-law, happily married to my older daughter, Alyssa. And uh, Noah has, is a creative guy. He's also launched a, a new kind of podcast. Now, podcast is something that, again, didn't exist 20-some years ago. Uh, but this podcast is called Old School, New School. And Noah, tell our listeners about what that's about and, and how they can you know, find this podcast and, down, and download it. Well, basically, it's uh, a weekly look at the hottest sports topics and current events from the perspective of two sportscasters who are decades apart. It's available on iTunes or OldSchoolNewSchoolPod.com. Okay, and, and obviously the two sportscasters would be you, of course, and you, and, you. It, and myself. So, yeah, obviously, I guess I fulfill the role of being the old school guy, and you're the new school guy. Okay. All right, so check it out, and thanks again for having me on the show, Rick. No, a pleasure. Uh, let's get into this, because I do want to talk about how things have changed and evolved, not necessarily for the better from my perspective, but things do change. Uh, and obviously, on, on, on my, my show on the Sports Edge, we talk all the time about how 
sports parenting and kids and specialization and, uh, you know, all these things have just uh, gone in different directions. But I, the first thing I want to ask you about with kids today, and I'm trying to get to how, because you're a lot closer to the kids that go through high school and college, you know, they it seems to me they have so many coaches these days. I mean, yeah. And I know you've talked to high school and college coaches about this, but tell us about the fact that kids today and, and their parents, they, they seem to enlist so many specialized coaching instructors. Yeah, and, you know, I could speak to that because I am one of those specialized coaches. Oh, my gosh. You know, when someone says, hey, well, you know, so-and-so needs a private shooting coach, I gladly do it. But I can tell you with some of the young athletes I work with currently, I work with them once a week. And I was talking to one of my athletes this week, and I was like, are we doing too much running in our workout? And And she was going – well, Monday I have club team, Tuesday I've got a clinic, Wednesday I'm with you, Thursday I've got games, and then i got games all weekend. And how old is this girl? Uh, 13. Okay. So just to give you an idea that I didn't really know that was going on, but that that's okay, I guess, if it's originated from the athlete yes. who wants to be playing that much. Like at, at, at that age, I wanted to be playing every minute of every day, but the problem becomes – you have too many voices. You've got too many. If you well, have four coaches teaching you how to shoot a jump shot or swing a bat, who do you listen to? Well, that's my point. I mean, yeah. How, how do you? How does a kid who's thirteen, who obviously loves playing basketball and is trying to get all this, trying to filter through all this instruction, who do you listen to? Now, when you were thirteen, you didn't have all these coaches, right? Well, I'm a good bridge between, you know, your generation and the generation now, where you have an Instagram for your third grade team. We definitely specialized. AAU was a, was a big deal, but I think the camps were a bigger deal back then. Five Star was the biggest basketball yep. camp. And, you know, I'm talking from a basketball perspective. This applies to all sports, where the camp used to be the first half of the day was instructional and fundamentals. Can you believe that? You would do stations. You <laughs> well, would learn how I, I, to pass, dribble, and shoot. And then some of the other camps came along and they said, you know, nobody really likes stations. Why don't we just play games all day long? And we'll bring in the college coaches. And okay. I, I witnessed that change from instruction to showcase. My, my guest is Noah Savage. And we're talking about how sports have changed in the last uh, 20, 25, 30 years. And you just hit upon something which I find fascinating, that kids today, you know, they, it's not about fundamentals and spending half the time learning the game or, or going through various skills and drills. No, let's just play all, all, all the entire day. Yeah. And eventually, I guess there's a sense from these kids that they're going to learn or they're going to evolve. Or they, are they, do they watch other kids, other competitors to see how they do certain things? How, how is the game taught? Well, I think you, you learn the game by playing it. But this, the problem is the second that you're good, even when you're in third, fourth grade, you're, you're plucked from whatever community you're in. You're put on an AAU team, and then the showcasing begins. And I think the difference is that when you're showcasing, you're just trying to show how good you are individually as a player and trying to win the game becomes secondary. So that's I, that's a dangerous mindset to start it, with. It is a dangerous mindset because, I mean, the idea of playing any team sport, whether it's basketball or football or baseball, whatever it might be, the fundamentals of team play, of, of, of team sacrifice, of dedication, these basic intangibles, which are at the, at the basis of any competitive sports for kids today – you're telling me those things are getting washed away because the, the the spotlight is on the youngster who now says, "Okay, I had a really good season as a uh, as a 12 year old, uh, and I'm tall, so now I'm going to be plucked and and put on a much more elite club yeah. team." Well, there's this fear out there from I think it originates from parents that 
what if my young athlete is so good and nobody finds them? What if they don't know how good my athlete is? And that's basically morphed into something that's grotesquely overdone. I'll tell you a quick story about an athlete I covered for uh, Faust One Sports in New Jersey. Leave it anonymous, but basically as a freshman, they were an unbelievable player. They won their sectional championship. They started. They were great. Great stats. Transferred to another school. Great stats. Transferred down to Florida to a boarding school and basically got buried and had to transfer back to New Jersey. After all these transfers, all this showcasing, I was like, where's this guy going to end up? Pretty much at the same level of college that he would have if he he stayed in his freshman year of school. So who's pushing all that? Why not just stay in a great situation, win some games, have some fun, and then go to college? Because you know – that the grass is always greener. And, uh, yeah, I'm a star as a freshman, but, you know, if I play against better competition or a bigger showcase, then I'll get even more offers my way. And, and, and that's, that's where the parents have to use a little common sense. And, again, this, this is, to me, again, from my generation, the way we saw sports, nobody worried about getting a college scholarship or going pro. That happened down the road if you were really, really good. But it's all now infiltrated to the younger ranks, and it's getting younger and younger, which gets me to – this, you mentioned about third-grade team being on Instagram. I mean, this is just, as I said, bizarre. Yeah. But that's become standard well, way of doing business. Right. And and I went out, I talked to some of my friends who coach in the college ranks, and I talked to them about, what do you think about these Instagram stories where you put your top 10 schools and then you put your top five schools? I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. but What do you mean, what do you, what do you, you put your top five, so, 10 schools? So, for example, I'm getting – Where re- you want to go to school? Where you, where you recruit? Right. If I'm getting – if I'm a high school basketball player, I'll put a picture of myself dunking, and yep. then behind it I'll have – Rutgers, Ohio State, Seton Hall, have all the school's logos behind me to say, ooh, all these guys want me, and I'm going to – now, do the they coach, really, do they really want yeah, you? Yeah, usually this is people who either offered you or interested okay, in the mix. Okay, so legit. But the coaches who see the Instagram are like, ugh, why? Like, <laughs> like why are you bragging about something that should happen? All right, it, I, it's sanctioned bragging. It's sanctioned bragging. All right. Let me, I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> let me – What think. happened to humility? That's my point. <laughs> Just show up and dominate hey, and then get your scholarship. Hey, hey, Noah, you sound like me. I'm the old school guy here. <laughs> We're talking with Noah Savage. We're talking about the differences between sports today and kids and what, how they perceive sports and competition and how my generation looks upon sports. And perhaps you as a sports parent as well see it too. All right, let me take a timeout. Uh, we'll take a commercial break and have the update. When we return, we'll talk more with Noah. I'm going to talk next about social media. Okay, stay with me. My guest this morning is Noah Savage, a former basketball star at Princeton, and uh, my son-in-law. And we're trying to get a better insight into how kids in the year 2018, kids, view sports uh, differently than kids did a generation ago. And, and Noah, before the break, we were talking about uh, kids and putting their, their basketball team in third grade on Instagram and, and, and obviously trying to use social media to alert uh, college coaches and so on and so forth. This is that we know social media didn't exist a generation ago, but it just honestly baffles me and and parents and coaches and other adults as to why so many of today's kids don't seem to get or understand the devastating consequences they can face if they put something really stupid or crass out on social media. It's almost like the kids sort of say, well, yeah, we all get social media, so I said something stupid. So what? How, how, everybody does that. It's no big deal. And right. I'm interested in your take as to how kids, well, teenagers see this. What I would say is 
every basketball camp I ever went to, every time there was a coach speaking or a public speaker, they would say, you're a student athlete. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. So if I had a young athlete in my household or I was counseling one, I would say, don't worry about what your classmates are doing. You're different. You can't be doing stupid things on social media because that stuff never goes away. Right. But the second part is, because I think of it from the athlete perspective, if you start putting every time a school shows interest in you on Instagram and then some of those schools back away, you kind of played yourself. You look a little like, wait, they did show interest. Now they don't. And it can actually negatively impact you if you're out there advertising every good thing that ever happens to you on the basketball court or on the field or on the baseball diamond. Let other people do that for you. you if you're getting the paper or they tweet about you, if, or if, if the press is covering you, let them do that. You don't have to promote yourself. Well, you said before the term you used was humility. And you think the kids today, young athletes, don't have any humility? They think they feel it's incumbent upon them to, to beat their own drum, their own publicity? It, it drum? is because everyone else does it. And you know that in but, adolescence, everybody wants to do whatever else is doing. And it's not only them. It's adults who are beating their own chest. I talked to a college coach this week who said he got a guy coming to campus and they said, wait a second, don't you have a Twitter? He goes, I don't, I don't mess with any of that stuff. I just want to play, keep my head down, get good grades. And, oh, my God, you want to get into the good graces of a college coach? If you say that, they're like, this guy's great. <laughs> you know, so you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. I, 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 I mean, to me, that does sound like something from who's, a- who's ever got a scholarship because they had a great Twitter. It doesn't happen. You, well, you, you're going to be revealed. Your game is going to be the thing that sets you apart. Why endanger yourself or your future by potentially making a bad joke, using bad language, showing bad judgment? Keep your cards close to your chest and just less social media is better for a young athlete. Well, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I accept that. And I would I would you know certainly caution uh, teenagers to be aware of the consequences. But as I said, this happens Every, every, it seems like every day there's another story and uh, making the rounds about some stupid high school kid who's a, ta- a terrific athlete who posted something wrong or bad or, or ridiculous, uh, and, and next thing you know, they're losing college scholarships or they're being uh, you know, basically singled out for being stupid. But it doesn't seem to sink in. And my question is, why doesn't it sink in? Why don't teenagers who certainly know their way around social media a lot better than I do and probably even better than you do. I mean, why don't they pick up on this? Why don't they realize, like you said, the kid who was being recruited to the basketball player saying, I, I don't do any of that stuff. I just want to play basketball. Right. Why aren't there more kids like that? Why well, is that message getting through? It's instant gratification. The, the device has made it so easy to do something stupid, not only if you're a teenager or a young kid, but if you're an adult as well. We've seen those stories. Yeah. It's just stay away. If you're a young athlete, Maybe you want to make a Twitter page and an Instagram. You put your bio, you put your contact information, a highlight tape. If you want to see a full game, email me here. That's enough. People will find you. You don't need to be on there tooting your own horn all the time. I, I, and I, let's go back to the instant gratification. Um, I've said many times on the show, on this program, that kids today, they, they want praise. They, they expect praise. They, they just thrive on praise. It's... And I, I tell coaches today, you know, you got to be very careful, youngsters, because if you start, you know, basically uh, talking to them very severely or criticize them openly, they're just going to shut down. Yes. And, and, and to go with, real quick, to go back to that college coach, he said, I have noticed a change in the last 10 years with players coming in. You try to coach them hard. You want to get them better and they'll shut down sooner. So they've had to adjust the way they talk to players. 
Now, is that good if you want to be the best player you can be? No. Well, I, Why I, wouldn't you want to be coached? I mean, and now we see it at the professional ranks is such a great emphasis now on coaches being hired because uh, they're great communicators. Right. Now, nobody's That's coded really, language, right? Uh, yes. It's like saying, you know, we have a lot of guys making a lot of money here, and we want to be them, have them motivated, so we bring in a great communicator. That means they know how to deal with these, these uh, delicate psyches and get them to play at a higher level. But I think it all drip, goes back, back down to the kids today. And maybe your, your theory is correct that the, they have the phone, uh, they have instant access, they have instant gratification, they can post stuff uh, right away, and boom, they get reaction. We're, and that's sort of diametrically opposed to sports where to get better in sports, it means you've got to spend a lot of time, have a lot of patience, working, practicing, failing, getting better and better. Uh, th- there's something here that, does, that, that doesn't seem right. to add up. And you said in that, the, the key word of what you just said, Rick, was failing. And the biggest takeaway for a young athlete, and parents out there should know this too, is that you get the opportunity to fail. You get to lose games. You get to not get playing time. You get to be a good teammate. So-and-so didn't pass me the ball in the field. I didn't get to take the last shot. Isn't that the whole point? I- that That's the whole point. So if you protect your young athlete – and then social media and the internet is just the best. These are the highlights of your life, the best things. I've never seen an Instagram post of like, missed the last shot, really blew it. <laughs> you know, I, I never see that posted. I don't know why. I never see that. <laughs> really stunk tonight. 0 for 12. <laughs> Grinding. Rise and grind. You know, you only see the good, and then it becomes part of your psyche that I'm only supposed to experience success. That's not the point. I've, if you go in a job interview and you're a student athlete, when you're a young person, Talk about how you failed and how you dealt with it. That's a much better story than talking about how you were the man on the, you know, Brooklyn Jots AAU team that nobody's heard of. <laughs> I mean, take a step back, everybody. <laughs> well, and we, we've seen all the the um, the heartwarming uh, commercials uh, in which they they, you're, they they focus on these intangibles of hard work and adversity and how you're going to outcompete your opponents. And you come away and you watch these and you say, well, yes, of course, that's the basic fundamentals of being an athlete. But I guess for the younger generation, which these commercials are targeted to, they don't, they don't know about these. They don't know that adversity or losing or, or respecting your opponent's abilities. It's like a whole new concept to them. They, they aren't paying attention. Yeah, but, and, I, and, and it's, it's, related, it's related back to social media. When you're staring at it all day long and you're only seeing success – it can only lead to being jealous of other people, comparing yourself to other people. It's not good. When, when I was in high school, we got a list of the ranking of the top players in the state of New Jersey. Once a month, it was just a printed out list. That was it. That was all you got about other players, and then maybe you played them in person. Imagine if every day there's a new list. Where do I stack up? I don't think it's healthy. I, well, it's um... – well, the question is, what's going to happen next? What, what, how, what happens after this? I mean, you know, because social media, it just gets more and more. It, it just uh, gains more momentum and it, it, it steamrolls. Our kids just, I mean, I, again, I, I'm, I'm always amazed, for example, with the, with the fact that this new sport, quote-unquote, sport of e-gaming exists. Kids love it. Kid can't get enough of it. And, and, and yet they see this, well, it's a, it's a, it must be sport because it's competition. I don't see it that way. I mean, I guess it's a skill, but it's not a sport. I put it in the same lane as pool, 
as ping pong, as poker. I mean, there's competition there, but you're casting a really wide net if you're going to call e-gaming sports. Well, the National Federation of High Schools uh, is very much embracing uh, e-gaming. Yeah. And uh, I know in, in several uh, states already, uh, high schools have uh, are now giving out uh, varsity letters to e-gamers. Um, and and uh, obviously some colleges are already giving out scholarships for, for e-gaming. I mean, they're just responding to what they feel is a, a popular trend. But, you know, <laughs> do these... The best e gamers are they are they into staying physically fit? Are they just are they just into inhaling uh, caffeine and pastries? How does that work? I mean, you're making me feel old now because I'm I'm with you on this one. This is this is one where follow the dollars. There's enough eyeballs. Some of the top YouTube accounts are people watching people play video games, and that's where it all starts. And the colleges come. After that, and say, hey, maybe maybe we need to get an e-gaming team here. I I, I just found that extraordinary. So I, I will classify e-gaming as a skill, as you said, Noah. It's more in the same realm as ping pong or or throwing darts or stuff like that. Yes, there's competition to it, but it's not exactly the, the traditional version I think of sports where you're out there really uh, busting your hump and breaking a sweat. But it's very popular. Uh, and you mentioned also something here. And by the way, my guest this morning is Noah Savage. And we're talking about how sports are viewed differently by people in my generation as opposed to kids today and how they see uh, sports. And I, I think we're touching upon some really relevant uh, issues here that kids today uh, all about winning or, or I should say succeeding for themselves, uh, the, the concepts of team building and sacrifice. Not so sure that's as strong as it used to be. Um, the fact that... Uh, you know, nobody ever seems to want to deal with uh, having to confront adversity or well how or, about how about pickup games I mean that's something that well, came up when I talked to three or four coaches I said I wish there was more pickup because think about the skills you learn if you just go out and play and there are no parents around you learn negotiation what are the rules going to be we got in a conflict how do you play fair all these things come from the players and that is going away and I think that's a little scary and I also am concerned, too, Noah, as I see these kids come up to the system and they go through, you know, travel teams and club teams and they're, you know, AAU and they're uh, even if they're playing at the elite levels in high school and college. I find that when the kids get finished playing after the college level, that they often just walk away from the sport. Yeah. And that sort of says to me, well, if, didn't they have a passion to play that sport? Didn't they love playing lacrosse or basketball or ice hockey? How come they don't keep playing? And you can say, well, life interferes and they get jobs and they have families and stuff. But I just, for example, I mentioned today on my show, I, I just, it's very hard to find enough people, kids who used to play baseball up through all the ranks and they get finished with their college careers and they just stop playing baseball. Like yeah. it's no longer fun, which suggests to me that these kids probably weren't even playing the game for fun because they were playing it because it was expected of them, or I can get a scholarship, or it's for the money. That 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 yeah, I agree, me. and I think that's tying every game to a higher reason. Like, then we'll get to the next round, then we'll win this championship, versus just playing because you like it. That's okay. Go out there and do what you like. And the stat that I thought was interesting that came up during the NFL draft was eighty percent of those athletes who were drafted were at least two sport athletes. Yeah, there, there's no question that that, uh, that it's rare to find uh, professional athletes who just played one sport. And that's where I think parents so often miss the boat. They say, well, I'm going to get my kid to specialize at an earlier and earlier age because that will give them a, 
a leg up on their competition. But what they don't realize is at the, at the other end of the spectrum, at the professional level, the guys are going to, and the guys are good professional contracts. They were just super athletes all the way through and never had to specialize. But right, that, and, they, uh, and they figured them out themselves. Well, you can help your young athlete a little bit more by just stepping back sometimes, let them fail, and let them go out there and figure it out themselves. All right, let, let me let me take a time out here, uh, and when I return uh, from the update, I'm going to continue this conversation with you, Noah, because uh, I do want to talk about this particular process with kids today and 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 how they cope with all this. Okay, stay with me. Back with more after this. Hey, don't forget, uh, Ed Randall comes along at 9 o'clock this morning. Of course, Ed will be uh, talking baseball with you. And uh, don't forget to check out my website and my blog at askcoachwolf.com. And, of course, now's a good time to, uh, to buy your youngster a copy of my book, Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. Uh, I get, I get, I'm very, very flattered I get so much great feedback about that book. And, uh, again, this is a good chance for if your youngster plays sports and wants to really train themselves from a mental perspective, uh, get them a copy. You can find it anywhere, uh, particularly on Amazon or BNN.com. My guest this morning is Noah Savage of the Ivy League Network and is also the host of a new podcast called Old School, New School, uh, which has to do with uh, a generational gap between sports fans like myself and with Noah. Um, and we're talking about how kids today in the year 2018 look upon sports in a much different way than perhaps their parents do. And, and you know, before the break, Noah, we're, we're talking about when I, when I speak to youngsters today, uh, when I do my speaking events, and I ask kids about what sports they play and, and whether they specialize or, or they just play whatever sports in season, more and more often I talk to kids and they tell me the following. They'll say, well, I play uh, soccer for real, but I really I like to fool around and play uh, basketball and lacrosse. Right. And I, that, again, that's a new concept that didn't exist a generation ago. It's like the, the youngster is telling me, well, I'm on a, a travel or a club team in soccer. I play that all year round. But if I just want to have fun, I'm playing other sports. Now, right. me, I got problems with this because, first of all, you're supposed to play all sports for fun. Right. And that's my first question. The second question, why do kids today, from your perspective, if, if they said they, sp- they play a sport for real, that suggests that sport is not for fun, but it's a job. And, and they've been either pushed into that sport by a parent or they, had, they showed a glimmer of promise in that sport when they were young and got pushed off into a sport. But nobody says to me anymore, I play a variety of sports and I play them all for fun. Right. And I think I hear two things in that comment. One is that certain sports, they don't have to be good. It's okay to just play and not be good. Yes. But another sport, I'm supposed to be good. And I think it, it it all starts from a good place from the parents. They want to give their kid every advantage that they can so they can be good. Yeah. But the dark side of that is once you go to the private lessons, then you go to the club team that's pay for play, you go to the camps, now all of a sudden maybe a player doesn't even want to play anymore, but they say, wait a second, in third grade, we decided I'm a great baseball player, so now I have to keep playing baseball. I've heard more stories recently covering high school and college athletes about athletes who have an opportunity to play in college, and they just go, no, I actually want to have a life now. And they just straight up go from a, an, an excellent high school athlete to not playing at all. And how, how, how does a kid do that if this has been their lifeblood since the time they could walk? How can they just sort of say, well, 
Or maybe I answer the question for myself. Maybe they are burned out and they're just tired of making this because play has gone to become like a job. Right. And that's it's because of chore and obligation. And that's probably a reason you say more and more kids are saying, ah, I'll walk away. And I have no problem walking away. Yeah, well, I think it's just a little bit too much parental involvement because I don't think a lot of kids are out there going, I need to be the best player in the state right now. Some are. Some are extremely driven like that. But when the parents start putting pressure on the player that, you know, if you tried a little harder, you'd be better than Johnny or you'd be better than Susie, yeah. we're going to get you a private coach. We're going to get you on this traveling AAU team. You're going to go down to Maryland and across to California just to play against other 12-year-olds. What's the message to the young athlete? It's certainly that you have to perform at an extremely high level. I mean, I went through that. I was on a AAU team at age 11. We flew down to Florida to play in the national championship for 11-year-olds. How ridiculous does that sound? I did that and <laughs> felt the pressure. You're 11. Nobody cares. You know, I, I would have ended in the same exact spot, played somewhere D1 probably. That was my level. If I started AAU as an 11-year-old or if I just started as a 15-year-old. And if you get to the point where you want some exposure because you do want to play in college, it's certainly good to play on a travel team. Or if you just love one sport more than the other sports, that's good. But the problem, and but I it's understand too early. This, I understand what, that the parents get so caught up with the neurosis or anxiety that if I just, if I do the right thing and say, you know, Noah, you're 11 years old, uh, it's going to cost a lot of money to go down to Florida playing in the so-called national championship for 11 year olds. It doesn't make any sense to do that. Just stay here and play with a local team or work out in your own. Right. I mean, that. I can. I think that's the rare parent that does that, as the parent says, "No, I may be, I may be getting in the way of my kid's development as an athlete." And sure, and we may have to go out and take a second mortgage to pay for that trip, but we're going to do that because maybe who knows that kid may be the superstar that we're all hoping he'll be. Right, and if that's true, I just think it can start a little later. Fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen—that's when you start the recruiting process to some degree. But I think the really little kids who are traveling all over the country just puts too much pressure too early on the athlete. I, I, I hear you. But as I said, the, the reality is, and we just how we started the show this morning, is talking about, you know, as you said, kids in third grade posting on Instagram about their team is ranked or, or whatever it might be. And there's money to be made by this. There's always people who have these other ventures that play off on this, feeding off the insecurity or the ego of the parents. It, it, it's It's... It's just very strange, and, and um, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but I, I know when I talk to kids today my own, I'll say, what, what is your, your favorite or what's your best sport? And they'll say, okay, it's, uh, it's uh, soccer. They say, well, what's your favorite sport? Basketball. Well, why don't you play basketball? No, I'm better at soccer. How right. Do, wh- wh- yeah. Why do you have to do that? I mean, wh- why do you have to make a, a choice like that? It's, uh, it's parents. Uh, <laughs> I mean, right? You want to you please the parents. Now, I want to – share from the perspective of, because I do think this all comes from some degree of college recruiting, right, in the distance. That's the root of a lot of it is exposure. My child will be recruited. They will be seen. Free, free college. Would you agree that's a big part of yes, this? Yes, of course. Now, the college coaches themselves are much more attracted to players that do not have an overbearing parent. In fact, I talked to a college coach this week who told me that if the parent was too overbearing, they would straight up pass on the kid. They would say, we're not dealing with this because for some reason it's morphed into a thing where parents have so much access with the high school coaches 
that they expect that level of access with a college coach whose full-time profession is coaching a sport, and maybe this parent never even played, and they're they're totally, totally well, over I, the line with that. I mean, I when I coached uh, college baseball and I did my recruiting, I can certainly vouch for the fact that uh, part of my due diligence on the players I recruited and gave money to, I, I definitely want to make sure the parents – we're not the kind who are going to intervene or meddle or whatever. And that was, that was 20 some odd years ago. And I've heard stories even now where top division one, I mean, Pete Carroll, when he was coaching at USC, he would say, I, I, I don't want to deal anymore with the parents calling me about their kids' playing time. And that's in the that's right. <laughs> USC. Right. I mean, I, I just, it's just amazing. But this, this is how the expectations are built up because everybody has their eye on that, that, that magical. But it, it also comes from, 10 years of paying for travel teams, going around the country, sacrificing. So I don't want to belittle the sacrifices that parents make no. on the behalf of their athletes, but it is better to step back at some point, let your athlete fail, let your athlete figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And when it comes down to recruiting, the recruiting is going to be between the athlete and the coaches, mainly. You're, you're, well, you're a sideline player as, as a parent. Noah, here's what we've established this morning about the differences between the current kids uh, and, the, and the generation of sports parents. Kids today have huge expectations. Uh, they are very, very comfortable with social media. They don't seem to have the same concerns that we do about the way they post silly or stupid stuff uh, on, online. And, and quite frankly, uh, they, 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 want, they don't want criticism. They want to be um, praised. And obviously, if the parents feel that things aren't going right on that team, they'll just get the kid in a different different program. Simple as that. I mean, this is this concerns me because who knows what the next generation of, of kids will be like when they play sports. And I, the biggest concern, of course, is a sense of fun and whether or not there's any more fun. Anyhow, no, we're out of time. Obviously, we can debate this forever. It's a fascinating topic. Uh, Noah, thank you for joining me this morning about this issue, and obviously it's always a pleasure to see you, and we'll see you at the next family reunion. All right. Thanks for having me on and listen to the podcast, OldSchoolNewSchoolPod.com or OldSchoolNewSchool on iTunes. And that is Noah Savage. Uh, again, he's my son-in-law, and uh, obviously I, I we have interesting conversations about youth sports, to be sure. Thanks, Noah. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation this morning about the uh, different perspectives on youth sports. And again, this is a topic that I've thought about for a long time because clearly, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, as time goes on, things do change. And obviously, they change in sports as well. And certainly, they change with youth sports and the way kids uh, look upon or introduced to sports. And as they go through the process of uh, learning their skill set and, and having their dreams and, and, and being exposed uh, to what goes on in sports, uh, things have changed. And, of course, the the advent of, of money has had a huge impact. Uh, the parents today, understandably, uh, college is so expensive. If there's any way that their youngster, their son or daughter, has a shows a glimmer of, of uh, athletic ability, they're going to be start thinking right from the get-go about maybe my kid will get a college athletic scholarship. But as, as my guest Noah Savage pointed out, it's not the way it is, and, and we've gotten to a point now where even where the, the, the onslaught of expectations, the, the paranoia of making sure my kid's on the fast track to, to get that scholarship or to, to use social media to, to prod coaches and to publicize what they've done, it, it's, it's getting to the point where it's going to be a bit, well, quite frankly, scary. And I think that's the takeaway from the show this morning. We have to get back, if we can, 
to understand with kids today that, yes, things like adversity in sports, losing in sports, having to dedicate oneself to, to get better, uh, this is not just accomplished by being on, on, on Twitter or Instagram. It takes hard, old-fashioned hard work. And maybe that's the connection between my generation and the younger generation of kids today. You got to get back to just working hard and working hard all the time. Uh, it, it, it's, if you want to get better, that's how you do it. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks uh, this morning to Tommy Lugauer and to Kara Ancalante. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He's up next, and I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.